Last service, I didn't realize they were finished. And I just sat there and wondered, oh, that's the end, okay. <laughs> kind of an abrupt ending there, so that was good. Thanks. Uh, different version of that. Okay, um, today we're in week two of the journey, talking about trying to see the, the, a story that we all know and with fresh eyes. Let me ask a question this morning. How many of you have at your home a nativity scene somewhere? A nativity scene. Raise your hand, okay. Okay, and a nativity scene. What normally do you have? Like you have baby Jesus, Mary and Joseph. What else do you have in a nativity scene? Wise men, shepherds, cats. Somebody said cats. <laughs> no, no, I don't think they'd be there. Uh, maybe dogs, not cats. Uh, okay, you know, whatever, shepherds anyway. We have a bunch of stuff, right? The problem is so often we get confused because we have in Scripture two different stories and they, they have details of, of parts of the nativity of the story of Christmas in Matthew and also in Luke. And they don't tell exactly the same thing. I mean, you find the shepherds in Luke. You find the, the, the wise men in uh, Matthew. And so when we read those sometimes, we just kind of like get confused. And this morning I thought about clearing the confusion up by talking about, you know, number one, what the Bible really says and what we get out of a whole bunch of stuff. But Nate found this uh, really cool uh, video um, somewhere. Uh, never know where you find stuff. Uh, this really cool video that's really, it's, it's funny, but it's also good, that, that really talks about what the Bible really says about Christmas and what we get from other stuff. And so instead of me telling you, I thought this is a more entertaining way for the next four minutes of understanding some things, and then we'll get into Scripture. And, and if you want to turn to the Scripture we're going to be looking at, we'll be in Matthew chapter 2 today, beginning with verse 1. So let's just watch this video right now and go from there.
And that's the truth. Okay, some of you are going home and actually read Scripture now and go like, I don't believe that. Believe it. Okay, a lot of stuff comes from songs and other things. We put all kinds of things together. The basic story, though, is the same, that Jesus came, uh, came to earth, and we'll talk about that even specifically next week. Today we want to talk about this part of the Christmas story that we, that we, we know about, we've read before, the, the one of the three magi is what they're called, um, which means wise men in Scripture. And, and I want to point out three things today that we can learn from that, that they learned that's it, really more than just the, the surface story that we read about, about three guys traveling this distance to come and see the baby Jesus. Uh, and there's three things that we can learn as well as I looked at this. And the, the, the first word, I want to use three words. They all start with the letter C this morning. So make it easy for you guys. Uh, just, you know, C's, alliteration, whatever. Um, the first word is the word connection. The word connection. The first thing we read in, in the story in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 is this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? And then we see the strange part of this because it says, We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. The thing that we know as we study scripture and as we study history in that time, these people called Magi were probably a group of people that came from a place called Persia. Uh, Persia is now modern-day uh, uh, Iran, Iraq, that area, kind of, in, in that area. And these people were people who studied uh, the stars. They were what we would call astrologers. And, and an interesting thing about it is God uses, draws their attention to, to the baby Jesus um, through using the, the stars. Now, it doesn't sound like a big deal, except in the Old Testament, what we see and what we read is that astrology was considered a sin, it was considered something you don't do. Uh, for instance, in Isaiah chapter 47, it says, God specifies astrologers as among those who will be burned uh, into stubble in God's judgment. <laughs> Doesn't sound like a good uh, ending for astrologers. Uh, also, in, in, uh, in Deuteronomy uh, verses eight, uh, chapter 18, astrology is consor- uh, as a form of divination is expressly forbidden in Scripture. And so God actually uses something, their interest in astrology Stars that would be considered a sin of, of, of looking to something else other than God as a way of getting your direction in life. He uses that to get their attention. The question I have is why did God do that? Because so often we think in the church that our purpose is, you know, get people's lives straight and then they show up. Well, that's not true. Jesus is concerned. God's concerned is that we get connected with him first and then God begins to change us after we connect with him. So let me ask you a question this morning in regard to this. The wise men connected through a star, their interest in that. What, what had got your attention? What did, how did God get your attention? Uh, first time, if, if you, some of you, as recently, sometimes it was a long time ago, how did God first get your attention where you began to first begin to explore that the Bible and what God said was true? I'll share with you my really deep spiritual reasons for, for getting connected with God. Back when I was a teenager, I'd grown up in church, and I was an early teen. I was about four, 13, 14 years old. My reason for really being interested in church, which led me to be interested in the Bible, which led me to be interested in God, was girls. Isn't that spiritual? You know? I went to youth group because there was a lot of cute girls there, you know? And, and it was also a place where I could get social connections. And some of you may have that deep, you know, that really deep thing there, too. You came to church because you're thinking about, well, you know, I'm single, and there might be some girls there, and, or, or guys, or whatever, you know. So the deal was, God can use, he'll use whatever it is that has your attention. Some of you, you drew close to Christ, and you began to explore the, the, the thing about uh, Christianity because maybe it was a crisis in your life. 
Maybe God used that crisis in your life to, uh, through, through a relational crisis, a financial crisis, whatever it may be, um, to begin to say, God, there has to be more, and you begin to use that. God will connect with us where we are. A couple of weeks ago, I shared with you that, you know, once again, I shared with you a while ago, one of our, one of our deals is this at Great Oaks. We are here as people, and we did this in the last series called Life on Mission. We talked about our purpose here as people is, in, in a real sense, there's only two things we can, only, we can do uh, here on earth that we can't, you can't do in heaven. And what were those two things? Anybody remember that last series? I'm sure you remember them all, you know. It's two things. One, in heaven you cannot sin, right? It's impossible. And the other thing you can't do in heaven is tell people about Jesus Christ because everybody knows Jesus Christ. So of those two, which did he think you think that he left us here for? This is not a hard question. Okay. <laughs> Sin, obviously, yeah, that's the way, you know, because it, it's easy to do. Well, no, the deal is he left us here. He left us here in a real sense to tell people about Jesus Christ. As Christians, it would be so much easier, I've said before, it, once you become a, a believer in Christ, just to go, boom, and take us to heaven. You know, I would be so much easier. Truthfully, we wouldn't have to put up with all the junk, you know, of life. Because even if you're a believer, you go through junk. Okay, but the deal is that that'd be easier. But no, God left us here for a purpose. And so what I shared with you is this, it, God will help us here. And I ask you to begin to think about and pray about who during this Christmas season you could invite to church, something very simple. And as you invite them, the thing is that, that, that you're going to be aware of is you need to ask yourself, where are they right now? What did they need to, where, where, what area of their life are they in stress? What area in life are they, are they seeking something in? Why would they be even be interested in, in exploring a relationship with God? Because God will connect with them where they are. And that's what he did with, the, with these uh, wise guys. I called them wise guys yesterday in a small group, and they started doing uh, mafia um, you know, <laughs> imitations in my group yesterday. That's the kind of group we have. But, uh, <laughs> but the, it was crazy. But the thing is, these wise men, what did... What did God do? He used their interest in astrology, this interest in a star. He used that even though it wasn't something that was good. He didn't say, get your act cleaned up first, and then you can come and follow me. So often that's why we approach people in the world. But that's not what God says. Uh, we get connected with Jesus because God starts where we are, and he leads us to where we need to go. So God cared so much for these people that he focused on what they were interested in and used that to take them take their next step. You know, I've had people say to me the last couple of weeks, you know, they haven't said it's exactly this way, but they were saying this. You know, um, you know I'm, a bit, I'm thinking about this person. I'm praying about this person. Uh, I, I want to invite them. I've been thinking about them for a long time. I'm going to invite them to church. Maybe if they don't come Christmas, just keep inviting them. And, and, and you know, and, and today you're going like, well, you know, it'd be cool if God would just send them a star. You know, just send them a star, you know, and they'd shine up and lead them here, you know. Guess what? If, he, if, if that person's on your mind, he has sent them a star. It's you. You're the star. You're that which God has used to connect them to where they need to go. And so the thing is, is that's the first thing. You know, what is the connection point? Where does God begin? Where did he begin with us? And where does he want to begin with other people that we know that needs to know Jesus Christ. The second thing that I see in this passage as well is the whole thing of, of challenge. I use the second C. First is connection. The second is challenge. As I looked at the story of the Magi, I began to realize, think of all the, think of all the um, incredible um, challenges they had to go through just to get to Jesus. 
You know, the thing is, is that um, the geographic challenge, as I shared with you, that probably these guys were from a region called Persia, and that day everybody either walked, they rode a donkey, or they rode, rode a camel or whatever, you know, of course, I don't know what they rode, but the deal is, is they, they came in, and it was a long journey. It was probably a several months journey for them to come across and, and make it through from where they were, just to get, first they went to Jerusalem, and then they get to, and then they get to Bethlehem. Now from Jerusalem to Bethlehem is not a big deal, but from, from Persia, to Jerusalem is, is probably a months long, at least the least weeks long journey, but most likely months long journey. You know, and sometimes when you get on a journey and you go on a journey, it can discourage you. You can go to a place, you're like, man, man, it's, I, I'm never going to get there. It's kind of like me a few years ago. Um, I went to, uh, we've been here in Illinois about 12 and a half years. And about a year out, out, of, out of coming here, we finally said, you know, we need to go up to Chicago and check it out. You know, we're only two and a half, three hours away. Big deal. And I'd been to a lot of major cities before. I grew up on the East Coast. I'd been to Baltimore, Washington, D.C., Boston. Um, you know, Boston, you know, that's from friends. I have some friends from there. And, um, you know, I've been to all those places. I've been to, I've been to, um, I've been to Philadelphia and Pittsburgh and, you know, all these different cities up on the East Coast. And, and so I knew about big cities. But, okay, so I said, you know, I can handle a big city. So we went up, and I don't like big cities, by the way, just to let you know up front. And so we finally, after a year, went up to Chicago, and, and our daughter, who at the time was not, I think she wasn't married then, I think she was getting ready to get married, um, she came in, and so we decided to go up there, and so we decided what we'll do, we'll take a day trip. And so we drove up on 165, uh, uh, drove up on 55, and went up to, to uh, up on Lakeshore Drive, and actually went to the Science and Industry Museum. Y'all been there before? Y'all? Y'all been there before? Okay. Uh, it slips every once in a while. Okay. And, um, and I went there. And then we said, what we're going to do after we spend like three or four hours there, we're going to go over. At that time, there was only one Ikea up in Chicago. And it was one out at Woodfield Mall, if you know where that is. Now, on the map, it's only about that far. <laughs> Literally, it is. It's only about that far on the map. And I looked at the mileage, and it was only like 10 miles, something like that, maybe 15. But it was an interstate in between there, here and there, where we were getting off. Right off of Lakeshore Drive, and I think it was 90 or 94. I'm not sure which one it is. I still can't remember. I don't want to remember. It was traumatic. And uh, so we get, and we said, okay, it was after lunch. We'd eaten a late lunch, and we're going up there. You know, it'll take us 30 minutes to get up to, you know, there. And, and then we'll hang out at Ikea and go to Woodfield Mall, eat some dinner, and come on back. Well, three and a half hours later... We sit on that interstate. You know, interstates are supposed to move, you know, I thought, you know, but not in Chicago, not in the middle of the day. I mean, literally, I set, we, it took us three hours to get from the, uh, the Science and Industry Museum to Woodfield Mall. It was a parking lot, four lanes or five lanes wide on the interstate. And I was so traumatized. Finally, by the time we got there, it was dinner time. We, went to, we never went to Ikea. We went, to the, we went, to, uh, went over to uh, the Woodfield Mall. We ate some dinner and, and shopped around a few minutes and said, we've had enough of this and let's leave. And we left and drove back home and then got back. In some way, we made our, self, uh, made our way out of Chicago, got back here about three and a half hours later. Uh, and, then, and then I said, okay, uh, it'll be a long time before I go back there. Nine years later, we got back to Chicago. Actually, to go up there to actually see stuff. Uh, actually, about a year and a half ago, we finally went up there. Uh, maybe it's about eight and a half years, maybe, instead of nine and a half years. We went up there, and we went only because Nate, our worship pastor, was taking a group, group of the Basque students there. 
And uh, he said, I know how to get around. We'll do this. We'll do this. And it was an enjoyable trip, okay? But because of the horrible trip the first time, I was just discouraged so much. I'm going like, I'm never going back to that place. I don't care if it is only three hours away from us, you know? You can become discouraged. You can be, the challenge of getting to a place sometimes can discourage you so much that you just give up. So wait, what's well, to be in Chicago? These guys, though, I mean, they had this challenge. They had this geographic challenge. That was the first one. It wasn't easy. It wasn't like just, hey, let's go to church. Let's just go five minutes down the road or 10 minutes down the road or 15 minutes down the road. These guys had to spend weeks and months traveling to get to where they, they were going to meet Jesus. They had that. Then they come to Jerusalem on their travels first. They come to Jerusalem, and they had two other type of challenges there. They had political challenges, and they had religious challenges. Political challenge was they run into this guy named Herod. King Herod. It says in verse 3, when King Herod heard this, he was hearing about these guys coming. They were looking for a baby Jesus. It says, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. And then in verse 4, when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. And they said, in Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what, where, what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then, he called, uh, then Herod called, verse 7, then he, Herod called the Magi secretly and found out where the exact place was where the star had appeared. Now we'll stop there for a second, but I have to say something about this. Number one, number one, Herod really did not want to go worship Jesus, as we'll find out in a minute. He says he does, but he really didn't want to. There was this, he had an agenda. Have you ever heard of a politician with an agenda? I mean, he had a, you know, he, he told them one thing and did something else. I mean, I cannot believe that would ever happen in our world, especially with politicians. But the deal, deal was, that was it. He was dealing with this challenge of trying to deal with this crooked politician who had an agenda himself, and he was trying to, you know, manipulate these wise, wise men. And then the other thing was, then he, the, the, the Herod actually goes and asks the religious leaders, the teachers and stuff, he said, do you know anything about this? And what did, they, what did they do? They said, yeah, we know there's a scripture that says he's going to be born in Bethlehem. And let me tell you something about Bethlehem. They, they, they were religious people who, had, who all their life had studied scripture. And here they were from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. It's only six miles. And they had no clue what was going to happen six miles from there. We have to be careful sometimes just thinking just because we know scripture that, that it really makes us spiritually mature. These people had all the information, but they totally missed what was going on in the world at that time. But not the wise men, because they were listening and trying to follow what God was doing in their lives. And then verse 7, once again, Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And then he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for this child. As soon as you find him, report to me. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I may too go and worship him. Not Really? Because we know from later history that he wanted to kill the baby Jesus because he was terrified of somebody taking over his position and his reign. Verse 9, after they had heard the king, the, the wise men, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. Now, I'm confused. I mean, it's, it's one thing for God to get our attention through something that's not necessarily righteous, Okay. He, he gets their attention because they're astrologers and they're, they're star worshipers. But he keeps their attention here. After periods of time, he's not saying, hey guys, get your act together 
And then you can follow me. No, he says he keeps leading them toward him and still using the star. He's using the star. God kept using the star to lead them. God walked patiently with them through their journey. Let me ask you a question. This is personal. This is about you. How patient has God been with you? How patient is God with you now and me? I mean, I doubt any of us, the very first time we heard anything about Jesus or God, just all of a sudden say, yeah, that's what I want to do. Usually it doesn't happen that way. God usually has to break barriers in our life. And the thing that we'll understand, I want you to understand is this. As you invite friends, I mean, if you're here and you already know Jesus Christ and you're going to invite friends to, and you're praying about friends to invite to church next week, you know what's going to happen? I've seen this happen so many times. People come to me and tell me stuff later, and I'm going like, okay. I'll come, and I'm going to present the gospel in a very simple way. Actually, out of just using two verses of Scripture in Matthew chapter 1 about what it means that Emmanuel, God, is with us and how that can change our life. And you'll go and like, ah, yeah, and, they, they, and you'll go, yeah, they heard the message. And, that, and then at the end of the message, what I'm going to do is I'm going to simply say, if you would like to take the next step and, and follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm, this is next week, okay. Um, you know, uh, would you just simply raise your hand and, and let me know that? And then what I'll do is then I'll pray with them and whatever. And you know what some of you will do? You're supposed to have your eyes closed and your head bowed. But you brought your friends who you hope that's going to do something, and what you'll do is you're going like, <laughs> you kind of look out of one eye because you want to know if they're actually doing something. Because, you know, your whole deal is closing the deal. I mean, you want them to come to Jesus, right? And when they don't do it right away, some of you will get ticked, and you're going like, well, I don't care, just let them go to hell. You probably won't say that out loud, but the reality is some of you, because you think that your deal is, I'm going to invite them to church, and their next step is going to be what? Accepting Jesus Christ. Well, no, no, no. Jesus is patient. He's patient with you. I mean, like, all of us are doing everything the Bible says right now. And he just simply looked at you and go like, you know, you're not doing this, so, you know, burn you. That's not what God does. I used to be Baptist, by the way. That's why I do that kind of stuff. But, you know, we don't all Baptists do that kind of thing. But the reality is, is that, you know, we think that way sometimes. We reality, in reality think that way sometimes. And the thing is, is that what we have to understand is we invite people to church. As they come, their next step may be just showing up. Don't get impatient with them. You need to ask yourself how patient that God has been with you. And you be as least as patient or even more patient with them. Because you can't make them come to Christ. All you can do is set the table. Let God work. But God will draw them through whatever it is, through the connections they have, through the, the place in their life where they're interested in, in learning something new. I love what the Bible says about God's patience with us. There's tons of places, but two in particular. 2 Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Or in Romans 2, 4, Or, uh, or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? It's not that God says, Get your act together. He's going like, Hey, 
I'm going to be patient with you. I'm going to lead you step by step by step. And in doing so, I want you to come to me, and I want you to accept me as Lord and Savior, and then I'll begin to change you. And that kind of leads us to the third part. The third part, change. That's the thing that, that it's, it's where, where this story leads up to. I see it in this story, and I also see it, and I also see it in our lives. Uh, this really has nothing to do with this specific uh, uh, topic today, but it really kind of does. I just kind of want to set the table here uh, in regard to change. How many of you, if you could, would change at least one thing about your physical appearance? Don't raise your hand. Okay? I have a feeling that if, if we're all just totally, brutally honest, we'd all raise our hands. We'd like to change at least one thing about our physical appearance. I've already had a whole week to think about this as preparing this message, and I have a whole list <laughs> for me. I mean, number one is that when I was, you know, I would grow more hair, you know. When I, st- I started losing my hair when I was in my mid-20s, you know. And so 35, 40 years ago, you know, I started losing hair, you know, and it's not gotten any better. Um, I thought about some of the treatments, but I said, eh, you know, why, you know, spend big money on something that really doesn't matter, even though it does matter greatly to me. You know, I I hate guys with full heads of hair. Uh, No, not really. But, uh, you know, and and I thought about shaving it all off, and some people look good with shaved heads, and I just don't look good. My head's not shaved right, you know? So I'm going to leave whatever little hair I got up there. So, I mean, I wish I could change that. Another thing I wish I could do is even though in the last uh, two years, um, my wife is, is beaten in, no, she's not. She's uh, encouraged me to, uh, uh, to, to not only work out, which I've been doing for years and years and years consistently, but also to eat right. And I've always eaten pretty good, but they even changed. So I lost 15 or 20 pounds over the last couple of years. But even in spite of that, I still don't have abs. I mean, I do. They're just not visible. <laughs> <laughs> you know? You know? And, and, and instead of abs, I, what happens, I find out when you get older, the abs turn into slabs. And uh, they move around over here on the sides, no matter how much weight you lose. And, and it's still there. And so, like, I don't know the deal. So, you know, if I could change anything about me, hair and abs, I don't know, you know, whatever the deal would be. But all of you would, would change something if you could. And there's a lot of things about this world that I would like to change as well. I mean, something silly, but it's still something I would change. If I could change something about this world, I mean, why, cannot, why, can, why are donuts bad for you and spinach good for you? I mean, can it be the other way around? Because donuts taste a whole lot better than spinach in my world. I don't know about you. I used to live two, uh, my church in Virginia was two blocks from a Krispy Kreme donut shop. And every time the sign would come on, you know, they're making them fresh right now, and the wind would be a certain way, you could smell them all over the place. Can you imagine doing that for 13 years? It was like living in cake heaven or something. I don't know. Or whatever. And anyway, you know, I would, that's just dumb things. But there's some things, though, truthfully, some serious things that I begin to think about. I would like to change about me that I seem, can't seem to change. What is this? And I know this is going to be surprising to all of you, but sometimes I have evil thoughts. I know you don't, but sometimes I have evil thoughts, and sometimes I'm going like, and I'm sitting around, and I'm going like, where did that come from? You know, and, and I, I get rid of it for a while, and it comes back. And, you know, and I try to do thought replacement, and, and, it, and it works for a while, you know. But the reality is, is it still comes back because I, I let my defenses down. You know? I mean, what if I told you this morning that we'd captured all of your, uh, captured individually, your thoughts for the last week on a video, and we're going to show it up on the screen right now. 
what would you do? You'd go, ah, and you'd run out the door. You'd run out the door, and you'd scream, and say, no, 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 no. I don't care who you are, right, if you're honest. See, the thing is, there's things about the world we'd like to change. I mean, there's some things. I was running, reading some statistics this week in, in preparation for this, and one of the things that I'd like to change about our world is that I found that at over 50% of babies born in America are being born into single-parent homes because, because you know why? The guys run away. I'd like to change that. It's not healthy. Another statistic that we don't even see, but I think it's, that, but it's true, is you know over, 20, over 27 million people in the world are captured and sold, sold every year into the sex slave trade? You didn't know that going on in the world now? Yeah. Do you know that there are more and more people burdened with fear and anxiety and depression than ever before? And because of that, Americans are more addicted to illegal and legal drugs than ever in our nation's history. I would change the fact that, that families are, are falling apart at a record pace. I would change these things if I could, and I know you would too if you could. Because if these things changed, it would change the world, and it would be a better place. But you know what I've discovered? I've discovered this. I cannot change those things no matter how hard I try I can't change me, and I can't change the world, but I know somebody who can. And that's why we're here. We're not here to play church. We're here because we believe in a God who's came to earth at, at a time called Christmas, whether it was in December or March. And he came into the world, and he, and he, he not only came as a baby, but he lived to be a, a man, and he died on a cross for you and for me, and he did something for us that we cannot do for ourselves or can do for the world, and that is he can begin to change us. I see that in the same story in Scripture, in this, this story that we all know, the story of the, of the three wise men, or multiple wise men. We don't know how many there were. Three gifts. We don't know how many wise men. It says in verse 10, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Man, they were still following stars. Okay, keep that in mind. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. And what did they do at this point? Here's the guys who were traveling this entourage probably of people who were probably wealthy. They were, I mean, how many people can just take off from their jobs for months at a time, travel across country with a bunch of resources, and get there and do this? You have to be fairly well off to do that. And so these guys had this, the, the people, they were probably leading people in their area because that's what the Magi were. They were kind of like the, the Levites in, in their, their Persian culture. Uh, and, 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 and it says, what happens when they saw the child with his mother Mary? They bowed down and worshipped him. They bowed down and worshipped him. They were changed. They went from being these people who were focused on self to being people who were focused upon God. And the next thing they did is that they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. They bowed down and worshipped him. These men who had been focused upon themselves, upon following a star and trying to find whatever that's what we were looking for, all of a sudden became, suddenly became focused on Jesus. And they became, instead of takers, they became givers. See, a person who is obsessed with Jesus will never be obsessed with themselves. And then the last verse, verse 12. And having been warmed in a dream, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it. 
Where was all their leadership right before this? Where did they get their information before this? How did they get to Jesus? It wasn't by a dream, was it? It was by a star. But now they see, and they worship the baby Jesus, and everything changes, and it starts right there with how, what they're following. No longer are they following this astrology, this star. Now they're following the dream. They're listening to God's voice. And then it says they return to the country by another road. See, God didn't try to change their behavior first. He tried to change their hearts. And when, he, and when that happens, when, when you meet Jesus, you will never be the same again. And you won't go back the same route as you went before. Going to Jesus doesn't mean just, yeah, well, once a week I show up at church. It means that every day in my life, if I encounter him and he comes into my life, what happens is everything I do in my life ultimately is led by him. How I spend my money, how I spend my time, what kind of relationships do I build, what are the, how do I spend my life? That's what changes. That's what can change. That's what's going to change the world. Only Jesus can do that. So, what's your next step? I don't know what, where you are. I don't know where all of you are. <laughs> no way I can know that. I can't read minds. God can. He knows what's in your mind and what's in your heart. What's your next step? It, it, some of you may be here, and your next step is you've been kind of exploring this thing. You've been following this star. God, God got your attention by something. You showed up at Great Oaks, and you've been here for a while, and, and all of a sudden you're, you're asking yourself, you know, my next step may be to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and make him Lord of my life, which means that I'll, it'll change the trajectory of my life, and then I'll begin to give me piece by piece different parts of my life. That's how it works. I wish, I wish we'd just give him everything at one time. It just never works that way. So what is your next step? And do you know somebody else that you've been praying about or thinking about when I challenged you a couple of weeks ago? to invite them to come. Do you know somebody else that needs to take a next step as well? It may be that you know that they don't have any desire to follow Christ. Maybe they need, to, their first next step will be to come to church. I would challenge you to do two things today. Number one, I would challenge you, if you're praying about somebody, that you would write their name down, and that you would write it on your hand, write it on, I don't know where, you know, write it somewhere that you'll get it, and every day, begin to pray about that person and finding ways of encouraging them to take their next step. It may be simply coming to the church where they can be encountered, they can hear the gospel another time or maybe for the first time. Maybe if you have, if you'd like for other people to join in with you in praying, I'm not talking about everybody here, but if you'd like myself and the staff to join in with you in praying, I did this last service, it was kind of scary. Tell you, it's scary. I, asked, I gave people, put it up there. Go ahead. Next slide. There you go. That's my mobile phone number right here. Okay? If you'd like me and others on our staff to pray about that same person, you can text me right now. I have a bunch of text on here from last service. And if you have another step you want to take with God and you want to talk to somebody about the next steps, whether it be to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior or simply to be baptized or whatever it is you need to take, the steps you need to take, and you want to talk to somebody, hey, I'm going to start doing this. You can text me that too. And if you don't have a phone and you don't text, which 
hard to believe in this world today that we don't do that. But if we don't, then another way of doing it, there's a card, there's a welcome card in your bulletin. You can fill that out and you can place it and act back on the welcome desk and those are turned into our office and we go through those. And there won't be general prayer, general prayer requests we put on the prayer list, but things that are specific about with people's names, they only go to our staff. And we will join you in praying that your friend or your, your, your neighbor or your uh, whoever it is will take their next step as well. We'll join you in praying for that as well this week. So whatever your need may be, don't just think about it. Do something about it. And begin to ask yourself, how can I encourage people? How can I help them connect with God? How can I help them in their challenges they have before them? And how can I help them ultimately to change? And the only way they'll change is when they encounter Jesus Christ. You can't change you and you can't change somebody else, but Jesus Christ can when he comes into your life. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your incredible love and your goodness to us. We pray that you would enable us this morning just to understand um, just how much you love us. This little simple story that we read in Matthew, we probably read <laughs> how many ever years we've been alive. We've probably read at least that many times because every Christmas we read scripture about the Christmas story in Matthew and Luke and we read those, and sometimes, God, we gloss over the... Uh, we, we read the basic story, but we really don't think about the deeper meanings of some of these things, God. So help us to see your story with fresh eyes. Help us as we encounter you along the way to have the same understanding that those wise men, I believe, eventually did. That you used where they were, where they were interested to connect with you, and you kept drawing them to you, God, over a period of time, still connecting with them, still being patient with them, and then challenging them through all the challenges of life to, to get past that initial fear they have. And God, when they finally came to you, God, may we have the same response that they had. And that would be that when we encounter you, God, we come to a place in our life where we bow before you, God, and worship you. It's, that's not just a position before you, God, physically, but it's a position of our heart before you, God, of saying, yes, yes, God, I no longer want to follow my plan, but I want to follow your plan. So thank you, God. Thank you, God, for what you do and the stories that we, we read every Christmas, God, and we know, but help us to understand that they have more truth, that it's not just about something that happened 2,000 years ago, but it's about something that can happen right now. And not only in our lives, God, but in the lives of friends and family members and neighbors and coworkers and schoolmates. That you're calling us, God. You've left what's here for a purpose, and that purpose is to help people take their next step towards you. And help us to take that as the, as the center focus of our life, God. No matter what, what job we do to make money, our center focus as a Christian is to help people to know you. So guide us this morning, God, and all we say and do, that we would just honor you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.